0: Check it in. Check it in. Oh. Ah. Uh.
1: Hello there. Welcome to the heavy hole. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, aka Uncle Bathing in Mucus and Bile. Fucking great. Oh, Justin. I'm... <laughs> Don't have I don't know <laughs> <laughs> You don't have any idea what, who, who wrote that song That death metal song Who did Because I'd like to <laughs> th- I'd like to thank them Slow down a minute Tough guy Because I'm about to flex On everybody oh, tonight Alright Oh
2: this is a night Filled of flexes Oh
1: I've been waiting For this one man. No well, But The sleeves are. Alright Yeah Before I rip the sleeves Off my shirt Like I'm Tom Anderer <laughs> So vascular <laughs> The minute I buy it Well let's not front we, we did one of these podcasts 24 hours ago We're, do, we're doubling up this week yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to do the how was your weekend. We told you how the weekend was, man. It was good. How was your day? Yeah, it was nice, man. I ate a bagel. Huh. It's Long Island. Now, hold on. Get Where'd you get the bagel? You know,
0: so I've been I've been doing this this different kind of flex mm-hmm. where I uh, I DoorDash bagels now. Jesus Christ. Cuz I'm a real well, sack of shit. Well, <laughs> it's like
1: Blade Runner out here.
0: So uh so we've got this place bagels on Main. Yeah,
1: bagels. on mean, local bagel shop,
0: right? Yeah, I only know them because they were the the only bagel spot on DoorDash at the time. <laughs> I knew the order, So Now they're my favorite,
1: regardless of uh, how lazy you are in 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 procuring this bagel. Yep. My whole point was, we live on Long Island, uh, and when I see people buy, like, why would you buy your bagels at a big uh, supermarket chain
2: or or Dunkin'
1: Donuts? Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, It's desperation. We we live on Long Island, man. There's so many fine bagel uh, establishments. You know what I'm saying, man? I do. Same reason. Another thing. We live on Long Island. Why do Domino's and Pizza Hut and Little Caesars and all these, how can they stay in business? Delivery. Open late, buddy. Their delivery I, policies I, I lo- are fantastic. I mean, all I'm saying, man. You get no, real, you're right. I mean, I agree with you. There's places on the planet Earth where they would kill for this access to fresh bagels and beautiful pizza by Italian Americanos. Yeah, I, mean, I
2: I got some uh, grandparents down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and they, they get them shipped down there. Freezer yeah, bags yeah. filled with the, the stuff with Domino's? that they used to get. No, with the
1: Mill Basin bagels uh, they used to get in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. you know? Thank you. That's, that's all good. I'm trying to, that's all that's I'm trying really to say. Good. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and shout out to all of our um, ex Long Islanders uh, living somewhere else, man. We get it, man. The taxes. Yeah, it's uh, still good. Tom, how was your day, though? Did you have a bagel or anything? What's going on? I had a, a long, long day. I woke up. I edited
2: a, an episode of Roast Mortem. I did the research for this show, and then I. Um I'm I'm like I mentioned I was dog sitting last night. Yeah. How are those dogs doing? They're doing all right, but the cable's out at the house and the internet's out. The dogs can't watch Animal Planet, yeah. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Well I'm I live I in a cave over there. The house is literally like a cave. They it's got a, no
0: windows. It's, it's a
2: dark, dangerous place. Yeah, it's a tomb. Um Oh boy. So we're uh I call up Verizon, which is never a good thing. And uh, you know, I'm on the phone for forty five minutes, the guy hung up on me. And then I had to do it again, so I had to do the whole process again. Explain them. This is my neighbor's house. They're friends of mine. They've authorized me to do everything with the account. Get someone over here. It's the Mocha Box, which is the stuff that takes the, the Cat Six directly from outside, runs yeah. it into the house. That what? shit was shot. What? So these, what? Are, these are what? wires. What are you
1: talking about?
2: Oh, sorry. Well, I do cables. I is, are you
1: recommending electronic music right uh-huh. now? No, this I'm just is crazy.
2: Like, I'm just telling you how how terrible this was because. I scheduled the appointment
1: for today and then they canceled the order on me. This is why I listen to death metal on battery powered cassette players by candlelight. Yeah. Exclusive. Yeah. That's all I do when I'm not doing this podcast. Yeah. This, this is, is why things I, like that. This is why I watch TV with my binoculars. I don't want my have window to get, yeah, I don't in, <laughs> into my neighbor's house. <laughs> Allegedly. I don't want to have to get on the phone with Netflix and tell them that my microwave is flickering, all right, every time I turn on the TV. Hello, Netflix. I can't yeah. get News 12. Yeah, I don't... What's <laughs> wrong with you? Oh, boy. No, it's, it's
2: been one of those days for me dealing with these... Uh, the complaints, uh, the things mm-hmm. that you're... The reason
1: you live the way you do is because of days I had. Today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well there's a lot there's a lot of stress man I mean I know both of you guys are kind of working from home you have other uh, gigs and you do a lot of hardworking guys but you guys both work out of the house there's a lot to tackle right yeah I'm, I, I work out of the house 80% of the time
2: and then mm. the other times I go to a studio in Brooklyn and do some sessions there.
1: That, I mean that speaks to how hard it is uh, to, to run uh, any kind of business or, or to, to run any, any kind of like operation out of your house man and I think that is our segue. Uh, because it's It's very difficult to run an independent label. And, uh, you know, in case you didn't figure out uh, by now, this is our episode where we're going to reminisce and memorialize now defunct labels. Discovering the tomb of the lost labels, part one. Yeah, we're going to throw some reverb on that. Um... Yeah, so tonight we're going to take a little uh, deep dive and kind of chronologically take you to some uh, now defunct labels and talk about their releases and their impact on the scene. Um, and as I was saying, it's, it's tough to run a label, man. And some of these labels weren't even, you, c- you couldn't even say they were independent labels, man. It, you know, it was like a guy in the garage. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, pull the car up a few more feet. I just got a shipment in. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that type of thing, man. People in their basement, people running record labels. And for the listeners, you can go back. We interviewed Mike from Paragon Records very early on. We interviewed Ralph from Haunted Hotel Records not too long ago. Uh, We also interviewed Timmy from Record Reserve Record Restore early on, and that's kind of the more retail end of the record label thing.
2: Yeah, we also spoke with John Santiago, thank you you very much, Ryan. Yeah, Yeah. talking
1: about the like the extreme DIY uh, homemade uh, label. So it's not easy; it's a labor of love. Most of these guys end up losing money. Um, and even back in the 90s, uh, when record labels could make more money with bands and, and physical formats were a thing, for the underground, it was almost like, the, you know, it was kind of like the opposite, man. Like, these guys didn't have the money to invest to get in the door to, to make as much money off of their product. And, you know, I, I'm I'm not a businessman myself, but it, it's it's always been difficult for these underground labels. So uh, we're going to salute the labels that we talk about tonight for staying in business as long as they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to talk about them a little bit. Yeah, let's let's pop right in. Um, All right. So, uh, you know, if you guys couldn't tell, I'm excited about this, man. Um, when we first got this idea, uh, a few labels popped into my head. And as I do from time to time, I'm going to take you in the uh, heavy hole time machine to Will's high school years. Will hanging out with Adam Rotella uh, in Huntington Station there, man. The hood just chilling out, uh, trading tapes and listening to death metal. And I picture like grease, but like blacker. Just, I had like, greasy dark, hair yeah, in yeah, high yeah. school. I sure did, man. <laughs> I was not flying, man. I was not cool in high school. I'm not going to front right now, man. So if you ever meet someone that said they went to high school with me, they're right when they tell you how awkward and and, uh, weird I was. I was the weird metalhead. But um, uh, while I was that awkward, weird, crazy metalhead guy in high school, uh, some labels had a huge impact on me that were kind of like popping in the death metal scene. And the climate of the death metal scene, mind you, this is like probably around 95 96 97 maybe into 98 99 some of the labels I'm talking about but pretty much um mid to late 90s and this is when the death metal boom had kind of, was on a downturn you had the big death metal saturation of the early 90s 93 and then when then um you know black metal hardcore you know like like the metal industry and new metal started creeping in you know what i mean corn blew up there was a lot of things going on in the late 90s to where This kind of brutal death metal, and we've touched on this in our interview with um, Ronnie and Dan from Malignancy, how death metal took a turn for the more brutal and underground and uh, American-influenced death metal. So uh, what I'm getting at here is the Midwestern scene, and the first one I'm going to talk about is Visceral Productions from Mentor, Ohio, Uh, and people might remember that um, this, this label was operated by Craig Rowe, who was the drummer of Hemdale, classic grindcore band. Uh, and this well, actually, when I first got into underground music, and I was chilling with Adam, he gave me a Visceral Productions compilation uh, that's somewhere in, in a box in my house right now. I couldn't dig it up for tonight, but um, that had a bunch of crazy bands on it, and it got me like knee deep in the scene at an early age. When you go through the roster of some of these labels, I'm going to talk about, they didn't have a lot of bands. Um, as uh, if, you, if you look at Visceral Productions, most of the releases were Hemdale splits. He put out um, split seven inches of Hemdale and Exhumed. Uh, the you know the the famous exum from California, Hemdale and Exit Thirteen. Also uh, an EP by the band Multiplex, kind of an obscure Japanese grindcore, almost like weird psychedelic, rocky grindcore band for the time. In but here's the here's the clincher. Did you guys realize that the first Nile album, Ramsey's Bringer of War, uh, came out on Visceral Productions before it came out on Relapse and the reissue.
2: Um, no, I'm not actually very, very familiar with Nile, even though they are huge, and I recognize that their success is uh, entirely warranted.
1: <laughs> yes. All I can remember is that Visceral Productions, when you ordered from them, he had like a little catalog slash zine with interviews and stuff. And um, I remember when Nile was like this new underground thing. That's why I respect Nile so much to this day, man. To see this legacy continue. Right up until this latest album they just recently put out, which I enjoyed, by the way. We'll talk about that another time. But it all started with Visceral Productions out of Ohio giving Niall a chance. And they were the first to scoop them up. And I believe when Visceral Productions folded, when Craig Rowe couldn't do this anymore, a lot of that traffic and a lot of those bands went to relapse. So that's where you have Niall. Hemdale ended up putting out an album. I think it was called Jerry's Massage Parlor. Hemdale had a sense of humor. Yeah. Uh but which but a highly recommended band, man. Don't let them fool you. They they said in an interview one time their biggest influence was Grave from Sweden. But they're like a brutal grind band. I mean, so let that sink in. Their, their biggest influence was that sick Grave guitar tone and atmosphere. Uh but they're kind of more of like a, a gore grinding grindcore type of band, Hemdale. Um really got to get into that. I know they had a reunion a few years ago. I missed it personally, which I regret, but um uh, you know, hit us up with your thoughts of that if you're a Hemdale fan, if you caught the reunion. Was, or that, a, uh, stuff. was
2: that like an MDF
1: reunion, or was it a- it, it was, and I'm, uh, I forget um, what the lineup situation was and all that, man. But, you know, my thing is I can't get out to a lot of these things as a fan because of the way I parlay my vacation time from work into my own bands. Right. You know, well, so I'm hard I, to get I, to Maryland, you know. I miss a lot of things, unfortunately, man. But um, I know Hemdale did reunite. I don't think they're back together. But this Vistler Productions was an important movement. Uh, and it's it's cool to look back on bands like Hemdale um, and the splits they did, and Nile, and even this Multiplex EP that they that they put out. Man, there was a band, A Curse, that he dealt with too, that I'm not too familiar with, because uh, it was just an interesting little blip in the radar. And um, it it like predates in a way, or kind of is the beginning of this uh, like midwestern brutality that starts taking over the scene, and kind of leads to the things that I talk about in our um, subgenre Marine episode. Uh, the dying fetus worship and all that stuff right. so, so that's, that's that man and maybe we could let Hemdale ring out for a minute man just to, just to celebrate this label sure Okay, man, yeah, Hemdale was a little bit ahead of the curve on the HM2 pedal, Swedish death metal worship, but combining it with more of a grindcore sound, if you ask me, man. That was was something I kind of just realized there. Um, But our next label that we're going to move forward talking about, Ablated Records uh, from Valley City, Ohio. Uh, Bladed Records was active in the uh, like mid to late 90s. I guess now we're kind of getting into more like 96, 97 territory. Kind of a short-lived label. But let me just read off the releases um, that, that he did put out. Uh, the original release, the original uh, label to put out, Regurgitation, Tales of Necrophilia, which has seen kind of like um, a resurgence in popularity. It was always a, kind of an obscure, brutal death metal album, even for the time. Uh, but lately I've seen it pop up because it was reissued by Hell's Headbangers just uh, in 2019, and um, I've seen it like kind of get a little bit more of appreciation, and the band came back and played some shows and things like that, so um, more more power to them. Uh, Bladed Records also put out um, some stuff by Lividity in the late 90s, uh, and they were actually responsible for uh, cock and Ball Torture, um, I think they might have reissued some stuff by that, and they put out a full-length by, uh, by Cock and Ball Torture, Sadum, Sado Chismo. Now, Cock and Ball Torture, I know, funny band name uh, from Germany, but this is kind of important in like the trajectory of brutal death metal and gore grind and stuff in the late 90s. Ablated Records was right there for that, like like I always say, the Midwestern American brutality that got really popular in the underground scene in the 90s as death metal in general was kind of like on a downturn um, in popularity uh, for the the bigger culture. Um, So, Bladed Records and some of these guys that are doing the Midwestern thing, I start seeing like Cock and Bull Torture pop up in their distro catalogs and interviews with them, and they're wearing t-shirts. All of a sudden, because Cock and Bull Torture is like an obscure German gore grind band, kind of in the tradition of your mucky purulent and your gut.
2: We've brought them up maybe once or twice in the podcast and that's just a great example of a band that I like, but I will never buy the shirt, probably not the vinyl, because I just don't want that typography in my house.
1: It sure. bothers me to say the name of that band cock so and ball much yeah. right I wanted, now. Yeah, I want to say, mm-hmm. it one uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not into the whole porno grind thing, but I will admit that this band, at least po- uh, Cock and Ball Torch, I'll say it. I'm a grown man. <laughs> um, <laughs> Should it be um, from ball and cock? Free, alphabetical? W- w- when they came out in um, uh, Germany, when they came out in the late '90s, they were a little bit different. I mean, you know, Gut was already. It was kind of like a German thing. I perceived it to be because they were like Gut was the the, the big porno grind band from Germany. Um, but Cock and Ball Torture did like a real groovy thing, and they were really cool to listen to because their combination of brutal low end guitar tones and kind of like tight end grooviness and um, low vocals—it was a cool band to listen to. But like you said, Tom, I'm not—I'm not waiting for them to print the 4x shirt. Okay, I,
2: yeah, I can't. <laughs> and it's,
1: uh, but you, know, you do what you want to do. But here I am. But um, they, you know, they also, you know, we're gonna get into some other bands that print. We'll, we'll talk about T-shirts. <laughs> I got a good one for the next label. But while we're still on this, um. Uh, it's, that's why and then I think that kind of like builds the road for last days of humanity getting popular within the death metal community mm. and that kind of b- builds the road to ping right
0: mm, you know what yeah. I'm saying this
1: yeah. is the case I'm building here is that I remember seeing these midwestern brut- brutal labels brutality labels uh, like, like Bladed records and the next one I'm going to uh, bring up Messing with the European gore grind before it really gained popularity in the death metal scene. Because believe it or not, in the 90s, there wasn't a lot of people in the death metal scene that even knew about this gore grind stuff. Mm. You had to be on the, on the you know low end of things like Adam. I only knew about it because of Adam. That's uh, not an insult, Adam. No, yeah, it's uh, Adam knows, man. He's the gore grind Yoda, man. He taught me everything I know with that, man. You know, but a lot of people weren't trying to listen to that or didn't know about it, man. And then you start seeing it, you know, rise in popularity with these guys. So, let me let me read the, list, the rest of this list though, man. This guy put out uh, he reissued the brodekin Instruments of Torture. Uh he put out Fermentos 3 Murders album. He put out a couple of Levidity albums. He Put out Morg from France's art gore album. That's a sleeper album we should talk about. Morgue from France, classic death no, metal no, no, band. One. You got to uh, and the and the last one I really got to talk about reinfection from Poland. He released there. They die for nothing. Now this is another example. I'm going back to the days when the internet scene was in its infancy. You didn't see a lot of stuff on on the internet except for, um, uh, like you know AOL Instant Messenger and things like that. Uh, but there's this guy from Ohio bringing a band from Poland uh, their release out. And I, I'm, you know, just to see Reinfection advertised with the Ablated Records bands and stuff, I was like, a Polish grindcore band, that's interesting. And Reinfection is a band you should go back and check out. I wouldn't describe them necessarily as gore grind, more of a death metal meets grindcore hyper blasting for its time type of thing. So, Ablated Records was definitely doing the work. I believe Brian Baxter from Ablated Records, uh, still active, a member of Regurgitation and several other bands. Maybe we'll reach out to him in the future, man. Nice guy. I've met him. So, uh, But, yeah, Ablated Records, rest in peace to that label. Maybe we'll take you out now on some um, uh, reinfection because I was talking about him, huh? Yeah, let's do it. Dying Fetus, Purification Through Violence, 1996. Uh, Pulverizer Records, man. Pulverizer Records from Dixon, Illinois put this out, man. Uh, And um, we've actually talked a little bit about Pulverizer Records in our interview with Joe from Mortal Decay because uh, Mortal Decay's sickening erotic fanaticism was originally released on Pulverizer Records. Um, As was Gorgasm's Stab Wound Intercourse. Uh, and albums by Deteriorate, Dissenter, Blood of Christ, and Sarcophagus. Oh, and uh, Jungle Rot, Slaughter of the Week came out um, as well. So, mm. Pulverizer Records really tapped into the scene in the mid to late 90s. Uh, 1996, it was founded um, with some key releases Mortal Decay, Jungle Rot, Gorgasm, Flesh Grind, Dying Feet, you know, bands that are still relevant today. Um, I don't think the label lasted very long. I believe the, the gentleman passed away who ran it. Rest in peace to him. Uh, but, um,. Uh, You know, just when when you when you think about this lineup and how relevant all these bands are still in the death metal scene, um, it's remarkable. It's interesting to think too that Dying Fetus's first album was released by these guys. This takes you back, like I was saying, before anyone really realized who Dying Fetus was outside of the death metal underground. Uh, you know what I mean? This guy put out that first album, and you you know you would you would order it right from the label. You could write letters to the band and order the demos still probably, and all that. You know, so it's Mm -hmm. uh, you know it's very interesting to think that man. Um, so you know. Dying free is purification through violence. Alright, so, I mean, obviously that Dying Fetus is a, uh, you know, kind of like a landmark release for Pulverizer Records, and we talked about the other big bands, but I actually went back today and I listened to two releases from Pulverizer Records that I hadn't really gotten into when they first came out, didn't really hear, uh, you know, I was kind of like blinded by the the light of, uh, you know, your, your Dying Fetus and your Mortal Decay and everything, Blood of Christ, A Dream to Remember um highly recommended by people over the years I finally sat down and listened to it as a piece of music this morning man amazing album I missed out very I almost I feel like I saved a fine wine and right. unlocked it this morning man yeah this is beautiful man uh, this is another band that if you're kind of if, if if you got that scattered remnants itch. This is a band that may stylistically appeal to you as well. I'm not going to say they play the same exact thing or they do the exact same thing. It's just something that combines very brutal death metal with some kind of like uh, romantic sentiments. I What really occurred to me over and over again listening to this, it's kind of like if on the Mortal Decay demos, they were obsessed with gothic architecture and doom metal instead of serial killers. Huh. So it's yeah, yeah, like, let that sink in. And they, maybe if they had like a ruffled shirt or something. Right. A little bit more of a yeah. Peter Steele look. Yeah, uh, but uh, like yeah. this is like your brutal death metal but sensitive. Yeah, but wait a minute. There's there's a wind to the north. You know, if there's, there's a foul wind afoot. Excellent intro really good synth pad
2: kind of thing, which I usually am not a huge fan, of, but I actually like mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. Me neither, man, but th- this is
1: pretty cool, man. Um, the way that
2: just dropped off the way it does, oh man, this this album's dynamic.
1: It's got some depth to it. Yeah, and this whole album has some depth to it. This is really interesting music. You could tell that this was um, when black metal was kind of like a fairly new phenomenon, at least in the-, in the hearts and minds of your American death metal fans. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, who are trying to combine it with your more traditional American death metal. But like you said, I'm not always a big fan of when they have the synthesizers and stop and have a clean part and stuff. It, it, a lot of times it fell flat. Mm-hmm. In the 90s, that didn't always work, and it created kind of a stigma around bands that attempted to do that to the point where a lot of bands didn't try to do that anymore, man. Uh, but these guys got it right, and I'm really happy. I'm going to spend a lot of time with this album, and I would recommend it strongly to our listeners. Like I said, if you're a fan of that brutal death metal uh, from the '90s, with kind of like a touch of um, doom, a touch of that kind of like more uh, like romantic, uh, you know, like I said, gothic imagery to it in the lyrics and stuff. Man, this is interesting stuff that you might want to uh, give a chance to. Man,
2: the album cover's got some babe on it, um, and the the picture actually very nice. But I'm having a hard time <laughs> with the typography.
0: Yeah, I see that. I see that basic script right there. Yeah, but overall, it's pretty pretty good. For the time period and everything, hey, it's you know, the, it's the it's, '90s. Hey,
2: this is—I'm still giving this a thumbs up for my first impression. Let, I'm into it.
0: Let's coin a new—let's uh, coin a new term right now. Let's define a new subgenre. I'm gonna—I'm gonna say depth metal.
1: Depth metal. Ooh. I like that. Right? I so, like that. I'm a bit. You just coined like one of my favorite genres of death metal. Depth metal. And just speaking of John Cena hands right now yeah I can't see you I don't (laughs) speak do that more often so I don't have to see you (laughs) speaking of depth metal though I just want to point out this reminded me stylistically in some ways of Permanent Midnight the band uh, they put out the album Under the Blood Moon on uh, Paragon Records kind of like a werewolf themed death metal band oh that that was cool got a lot of black metal influence and atmosphere not saying it's the same thing again but there's Depth metal yeah, Just like go. Justin said It's a genre All it's own man Give it two or three years It'll be inundated With depth metal bands And we'll be cursing them <laughs> wow. No I like the Technical depth metal But <laughs> yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, this is a little bit More brutal depth metal I don't know uh, We're kind of combining Depth metal <laughs> With HM2 pedals now It's a new thing <laughs> OSDM Alright yeah, <laughs> this, this but no, That uh, doesn't change <laughs> Before we go on The whole tangent uh, This Blood of Christ A Dream to Remember album Definitely something You want to remember Mm. Ooh. So sarcophagus, man, really interesting band. Um, they put out this for "We Who Are Consumed by the Darkness" in 1996. Uh, it came out on 12-inch vinyl and CD uh, on Overizer Records. Another band, kind of like walking the territory between, uh, like the the. The 90s American black metal uh, sound and the uh, brutal death metal sound. But doing some really interesting stuff in the songwriting here, Sarcophagus, man. You got to check this out. Uh, I felt like maybe uh, it was like one very adventurous songwriter or a few different guys in the band taking part in the songwriting over the course of the album. I don't know. All I know is that it was a really interesting album that goes into a lot of different territory without so much breaking apart stylistically and becoming like a patchwork quilt. It's, It's a really cool album very inventive mm. and interesting. And, you know, not to sound like the old guy or to sound cynical or anything, it just it just sounds like a time where death metal and black metal maybe weren't as popular or commercial uh, in the 90s and things were taking a downturn for underground extreme metal and people were just getting really inventive with it and trying to push it forward in ways... Um, in, per, in more personal ways. I don't know, man. It just sounds like these guys are... Again, just like Blood of Christ, uh, this band Sarcophagus really playing from the heart and writing some interesting death metal, man. So uh, another memorable band that I gave another chance to because I never listened to this the first time around, and I listened to it as a full piece of music today and was so impressed, man. Um, a band you might want to... You know, an interesting comparison came to mind. There's a band, Genital Gore, from the Czech Republic, who I believe I covered with... Um, Uh, Our Ping 2 episode when Dan Olivency was here. If you're just in general a fan of bands with really thick, highly mixed, like mixed high in the mix bass, uh, and those kind of like high pitched psychotic riffs to go along with that bass, uh, this is a fun band. So, you know. man here we go so i kind of gave you the setup now now we're rolling right into the late 90s man uh brutal american death metal in full swing we're kind of getting into that vibe that i described in our um you know subgenre marine episode about the you know everyone's wearing the the um uh Deeds of Flesh Long Sleeve, the Vomit Remnants Beanie, the the cut-off camouflage shorts, you know what I'm saying, skater shoes, everybody's looking like they're a hardcore band. It's brutal style out here. Uh, It's slam season in full effect, late 90s. spin kicks. United Mm -hmm. Guttural Records, Uh, respect. Um, United Guttural Records, uh, run by Rich Lipscomb, uh, the singer and I think sometimes guitarist of Flesh Grind, classic band. Let me just run down this roster. Perchance you guys have heard of bands like Devourment, Dead In... Flesh Grind, Lividity, Malignancy, Oxidized Razor, Putrid Pile, Screaming Afterbirth, a little band named Skinless, Waco Jesus. That's only a few of them, man. Uh, United Guttural Records was a movement, and just to have the name United Guttural, you got to keep in mind in the mid to late 90s, the idea of guttural vocals itself uh, was still seen by some of the old-schoolers as like, you know, Cookie Monster vocals or, you know, whatever. People were still trying to cling to the more traditional uh, death metal vocals. Yeah. Um, and to, to, to brand yourself as guttural was the movement itself. This was the people who wanted the gore grind, the brutal death metal, the, the malignancy, the lividity, the dead-in, the devour, all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, now, Dead-In, another band, I mean, Dead-In was very important to that whole movement. Flesh Grind was really important to that whole movement. Um, lividity, malignancy, there's so many that go on but Devourment was their whole own movement in a way, man I mean, uh, one label that um, unfortunately I'm not going to have time to talk about because of our format and everything, maybe we'll get into another time Corpse Gristle Records from Texas uh, Devourment and members of Devourment will kind of go on to uh, expand that whole territory and everything like that but it's really important because I remember I believe it was Milwaukee Metal Fest 2000 I made, the, my, made my way out there, I was 18 years old with my friend Mike and um they had like I, I don't i think it might have been called the united guttural stage if it wasn't then that's really what it was because it was like all united guttural bands and it was like regurgitation dead in malignancy flesh grind da da da. you know what i mean on Only and on, and on. yeah man so i'm kind of bringing you back to that point i had just graduated high school i was underground death metal all the way these were my favorite bands And um, so, you know, we'll we'll go through it, man. Devourment, Molesting the Decapitated comes out. There was nothing heavier at the time in terms of slamming brutality. It was kind of like the next movement of the New York slam sound. And we really saw with Devourment and Vomit Remnants and Dying Fetus that it was taking on a whole new life.
2: Also, Molesting the Decapitated is one of those gory album covers that is
1: actually... Really well situated, sir. Sure, yep. Uh, yeah. So I mean, again, that 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 speaks to the brutality that was going on. Um, none of this was for any kind of commercial val- you know, like like commercial um, aspirations or anything, man. Uh, and devourment was just kind of indicative of where the scene was going at that point, man. Right, so you probably recognize this, uh, Malignancy, Motivated by Hunger. This came out um, shortly uh, uh, after that Devourment album we were just jamming. Um, so you gotta imagine too, man, Malignancy, another band uh, that was kind of like, you know, still very underground, uh, you know, death metal wasn't as big, brutal guttural death metal wasn't as big, you know, Malignancy was right there in the scene, they weren't, they hadn't been around as long at this point, they were, they were still mm. a fairly young band, especially in terms of their their career. Um, And we talked a little bit. Again, you can really go back to that Malignancy interview with Danny and Ron uh, Mm. to get a feel for the climate of the scene and the impact of this United Guttural Records movement right when we're talking about this Motivated by Hunger EP getting released. And I remember buying this from the band when it came out, and it was so different than anything that was around. I mean, you you had a little bit of tech death here and there, but this was amazing, especially coming from an American band. And it really stands out on this label because there's some great uh, releases on this label, but this was so technical and weird. I guess you, you could put malignant. Where would you put Malignancy where they would fit in? I mean, they stand out wherever.
2: Uh, I think they invented their own style of technical death metal mm-hmm. that a lot of bands had added on to, and I think we're going to actually talk about some of those bands later. There's this thing... When you're a musician and you hear malignancy, you're you're kind of taken back a bit. The compositions
1: yeah. are crazy. It's uh, it's something to behold, man, and. Um you know, just, just, to, just to comment, this EP really has um, a, a special place in my heart, man. And um, the artwork was really different, too, for the time, man. You know, kind of a fresh look for the artwork, uh, Malignancy. You know, everything about that band, man. Something um, a little
2: more radical, brah.
1: Yeah, yeah so, man, blues. <laughs> yeah, <'cause laughs> surfing influence. No reds, blues. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what I mean. For the time, it was a little different for this label and, and for the look and for the style, man. So Malignancy always stand, standing out, man. So it's motivated by Hunger. Just to show you another band still relevant today extremely relevant just like devourment from these um these labels i'm talking about that kind of started in a very like niche underground american brutal scene that uh, a lot of people remember but in comparison to the, the size of the death metal scene today mm. uh you, you know not so many people were around for, for you know at first so just just shows humble beginnings of the bands that are kind of legendary today Yeah, so, um, you know, Devourment, Malignancy, uh, you know, everyone's familiar with that or should be who listens to this podcast by now. And there were a lot of Waco Jesus, Ton, Skinless, uh, Screaming Afterbirth, Putrid There's a lot of bands on United Guttural Records that were important. But uh, just like with the other label, uh, you know, like, like I did with Pulverizer Records, I wanted to go back and listen to something today that I had missed the first time around from this label. So I checked out In Carrion. Into the Exposed Abyss EP that came out in 2002 on United Goto Records. Uh, really interesting band, in carrion I wasn't familiar with them, and I didn't even realize this came out from South Carolina and apparently still around. Um, they haven't put out anything since this EP, but it says on Metallum that they're still around. Um, I, one of the members, the guitarist slash vocalist, was in Virulence, a band that some people may remember. Uh, this in Incarion is kind of crazy. Um, it's it's real like chunky and and, and like the, the bass is kind of like thumpy and just slaps you in there and it's like it's like in a rush you know what I mean.
2: This sounds like a proto
1: origin. Yeah, it's 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 fast, kind of like rushed, grindy death metal with a lot of twists and it's and the, and uh, you know it, it almost sounds like the bassist, the drummer, and the guitarist are are like fighting with each other or like it's it's like a battle royale type of uh, performance. I don't know, man, but it it has a lot of like frantic energy to it, so it gives it this cool uh, kind of grindcore feeling, almost like uh, you get from maybe Cryptopsy or cat- Cataclysm, the way they, you know, or older Cataclysm anyway, right. you know, or you know, or even like we were just talking about before with Sarcophagus. I noticed an interesting parallel between this band and that band Sarcophagus uh, that I was just talking about that was on Pulverizer Records, just kind of like this very rushed, fast, but somewhat technical uh, you know, m- musicianship. So and carrying, uh, I just thought this would be interesting to bring up for uh, for the listeners. Man, you might want to go back and check this out as you as you uh, behold the United Guttural Catalog. So, United Guttural Records, man. um, In the end, Rich Lipscomb sold the label to uh, Deathgasm Records, I believe, around 2002 or 2003. uh, And I believe Rich is no longer involved in the death metal community anymore or in the the death metal scene actively anyway. Um, But Deathgasm Records, interestingly enough, you see United Guttural Records pop up with an Atlanta address as late as 2012 and 13 with a few releases uh, and then kind of go quiet again. So... Um, the original spirit of United Guttural Records, I believe, is long gone from the late 90s when it was about the Midwestern death metal brutality. Uh, but I guess the imprint is still owned in some way by Deathgasm Records. I didn't see any United Guttural uh, Records releases being reissued or repressed recently or for even for sale uh, you know, online by Deathgasm Records. So I'm not sure what the story is there, but I think it's safe to say that United Guttural is not currently uh, an active label. Um, but an imprint that's very close to my heart and the heart of a lot of 90s brutal death metal heads, man. So, you know, as you go back and check out the catalog, there's a lot of great uh, landmark death metal releases. And just to speak to all these labels, the four labels I just talked about, this is kind of like, you know, I, what, listen to the, you know, Nile, Malignancy, Devourment, Dying Fetus, Gorgasm, you know, I, laying down like a lot of the groundwork for bands that are considered like legacy, legendary acts that are still putting out great albums to this day, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's just my piece about the late 90s and how the downturn in American, the downturn in, in worldwide death metal in the mid to late 90s as a really popular movement mm-hmm. led to, uh, you know, the, the kind of like reengineering of death metal and the next wave of death metal that is now very much celebrated. Justin, I think you're going to cover some territory that takes where like take takes up where I'm leaving off in the early 2000s, right? Yeah, a little bit. You know, okay, uh, cool. going in a slightly different direction.
0: Um, I think uh, what I'm what I'm about to bring kind of like represents uh, a little bit of the, of the the generation coming after, you know. Hmm. So, um, so yeah. So, so you know, when when I when this premise came up, and I'm thinking about. You know, labels that kind of made an impact on me that, that aren't really uh, too active right now. Because technically, I don't think this label is defunct, but they, they haven't put out a, a release since, since 2013. Uh, they're still active on Twitter, you know, promoting uh, past bands, uh, reunions, you know, stuff like that. Selling merch, you know, for, uh, for all the artists that, that have been on there. Uh, but the, the label I'm bringing up is Black Market
1: Activities. So it's, it reminds me almost of like um, Willy Wonka. You know what I mean? Like they they sealed up the factory. You know, like there's gonna be a it's uh, gonna be like a seven inch that comes out, and there's gonna be like five golden tickets or something. I mean, I don't know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so this is a this is a label founded in 2003 by Guy uh, Kazewich. Uh, hopefully, I'm saying that right. But is um, of uh, the Red fan. He was the vocalist of the Red Chord Yes, started sir. Started this label. Okay. Um, specializing in uh, in sort of this newer um, extreme metal, punk, and hardcore in the early 2000s. You know, Redcord adjacent, I'd like to say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, ran out of Massachusetts, you know, the, the home state of the Redcord. Um, and really cool thing about about this label um, and the opportunity they gave to the bands that, that were assigned to it was uh, shortly after their, their forming, they worked at a uh, production and distro deal with Metal Blade. So so early on in this label's life, they became this sort of like subsidy of Metal Blade, where uh, any band that was signed to it kind of got the same, you know, same distro. You were you were in it, in all the stores, you know, everything like that. Interesting. So, uh, see, so yeah, the the, the roster um, is pretty cool, man. You know, uh, uh, Behold the Octopus on this record label, uh, you know, friend of the show, Colin, all that kind of stuff. We've yeah. talked a lot about that band in the past. Uh, other bands, notable bands, Bird Eater, Animosity, <clears throat> uh, Ed Gain, uh, the first iteration of Fit for an Autopsy, which is blowing up right now, um, Gaza from a second story window, Today is the Day, Stomach Earth, which is a project by Gunface of, of uh, also Redcord fame. But the first record I want to bring in to talk about uh one, one of one of the label's first releases is by the band Deadwater drowning uh they were active between 2002 and 2004 uh this band is is often discussed as as one of the earliest you know quote unquote deathcore uh acts you know it's really just like very very tough early 2000s east coast specific metalcore mm-hmm. um with nods to classic death metal tropes, you know, there's some blast beats in there. There's a lot of like spastic songwriting, you know, um, in in the compositions, and then kind of open up to these these breakdowns, you know, that, that become so synonymous with with deathcore and metalcore. Yeah, really specific like East Coast flavor to hear. You know, this is like it's super nostalgic to me. This is kind of like when. When I started diving deep into what was going on around, you know, Long Island in, in terms of uh, of the shit that I was into, you know, in the early 2000s, like it, it's very much this sound. You know, you had the occasional melodic riff, you know, little little harmony, actually, a minor third harmony kind of stuff going on, and, and then uh, banging on that China. Um, China is very important to this very, style of <laughs> music. Very yes. important. Uh, yeah, this band is just super mean and aggressive and, and a lot of it has to do with, with the monster vocals of, of Nate Johnson who uh has made his way around um in in the scene. So Oh this guy is a mess of a vocal Yeah, dude. Uh so so yeah, what what's this band, you know, was kind of like um you know, in retrospect like this hub of uh of of what like Deathcore kind of turned into, or at least like um, death and hardcore mm-hmm. if you will so uh, Seth Coleman who's the bass player of this band um, did work in the Acacia Strain and, and one of the iterations of Fit for an Autopsy um, one of the guitarists they had Johnny Fay and, uh, and, and one of the drummers uh, John Dow did stints in the Red Chord and mm. um, in I want to say like 05-06 kind of thing, and and Nate, man, uh, Nate, yeah, his uh, his vocals are the, the obvious standout to me of, of this band, and uh, he did some work with "Since the Flood," uh, "Premonitions of War," "Through the Eyes of the Dead," uh, "Fit for an Autopsy," hmm. uh, a fucking nasty record. The record before Joe Bad came in, right, and, and they started doing that, that more modern thing, and "Burnt by the Sun," which is another fucking really really heavy. Like metalcore, deathcore, kind of. Yeah, band Dave Woody played
2: with them too there for a while. He was a founding member of that band.
0: So, uh, so yeah, man. If uh, if you guys are interested in the beginnings of a genre, you might hate, but this is a really good band. <laughs> check out Dead Water Drowning. <laughs> Next up, we have Syopus, uh Their debut record, "Ideas of Reference," from 2004, Rochester, New York band. Uh, it's great music if you hate your brain. You know? <laughs> it's yeah, it's work. You know yeah. what I mean? Not casual listening. It's it's math. It's the you know the depth the definition of your math core, um, you know, uh, or the shining star of this band. you know the guitar player uh christopher arp his his uh his very unique approach to songwriting Mm -hmm. his the way he he kind of forced his (laughs) i don't know his vision of playing guitar into into music or at least into a metal scene you know where a lot of band like a lot of people don't consider this band this band metal or in the same conversation of of a lot of core stuff or you know um they, they kind of see him removed from the scene a little bit.
2: This falls very in line with the behold the octopus, like Colin Marston, yeah. really just pushing musicianship and atmosphere is almost a byproduct.
0: Yeah. it's what I like so much about this label, you know, there' there is a specific diversity to uh, to how 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 you know the roster is curated. But yeah, man, uh, you know, what could I say about Silopus other than like it's technically fantastic? Um, cool mix of, of jazz, grind, and, and, and math rock. You got, your, you know, your, these these breakneck uh, speed riffs, you know, where he had to, like... I, re- I was reading when he was, um, you know, attempting to get guitar endorsements, he, he mm-hmm. would have actually have to send tapes to, to whatever um, yeah, to you know, companies or whatever. To no- Ibanez and stuff. Nobody would believe that too. he was actually playing that fast, you know? so he, he, I feel like the, the, the way that he tapped on the guitar kind of uh, left a mark, at least like this. This ambition, this like bar to reach for guitar players that weren't used to seeing that or anything.
2: Yeah, it's funny too. Um, the range of songwriting style that Psyopus put out there Yep. Is, is it's all the things you said, but then they have these kind of weird melodic parts that come in at times too, which you wouldn't expect.
0: They're, like it's it's a weird like Philip Glass, Dream Theater, you know, like Prague adjacent sort of thing. Very, very jazz, you know, in its in its foundation, but... Um,
1: the guy's name was um, Christopher Arp, the yeah, guitarist? Yeah, Christopher mm-hmm. Arp, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, this is going back a while now, uh, 2004, uh, Maryland Death Fest, I actually, uh, BioLich, my old band, performed at that Death Fest, and I remember hanging out with these guys and um, some people that they brought with them outside of a hotel room. I think we might have uh, been staying at the same hotel or something, but we killed like an afternoon hanging out with these guys. They were really cool, nice dudes. And... um I talked. I believe I was talking to the guy, Christopher, Opp, the guitarist, and he explained to us that shortly before forming the band, he had been in some sort of accident. I, mean, I think a car accident. Again, this is 15 years ago. We were allegedly uh, enjoying hanging out with these guys uh, at a hotel room. Uh, you know, who knows what what, what was getting involved. Uh, so my memory's a little blurry. But um, I, I think he said that he got into some sort of accident and he was kind of debilitated, laid up for a prolonged period of time, maybe several months or so before uh, Psyopus started. And he kind of like, I don't know, relearned, reinvented how he played guitar, sat with the guitar a long time. But I I remember him kind of explaining that him being like laid up for a prolonged period of time and kind of like going in on guitar was like the, the build up to this band. Mm. That's yeah. interesting. Big, yeah,
0: big if true for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
1: I, I'd love to reach out to him and and confirm that again, man. Because like I said, it was I remember it's a, an anecdote from long ago. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I would so. love to talk to him on this podcast. Not only has he done Psyopus, I know he's done some other stuff. I remember looking at his resume a bit, uh, you know, the metal resume. He actually played with Ass Jack, which is Hank Hank 3's band. Oh, yeah, okay. like, that's crazy. Yeah, he was a live player for a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the guy can play whatever you put in front of him, I feel yeah. like. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets it. Yep. Well,
1: as I say to the listeners time to time, uh, you know, we will reach out. We can't guarantee if they'll reach back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, check out Syopus, uh Put the work in to listen to it. It's cracked out jazz
0: uh, it's very, very fun. Don't be afraid. You don't have to understand it, yeah, right. Yeah, you right don't right? need to understand it. it. Yeah. Not you know, the first time or the second time. But if I can get it.
1: I have to flex on you guys. Flex. I saw Psyoplus perform as an instrumental set. Um, Maryland Death Fest 2004 pre-show. The singer uh, was under the weather and had to sit out the show, and they performed as an instrumental band. It was really interesting, though. Just like That's the dyna- this
0: record came out, so yeah, the,
1: the yeah, dynamic yeah. of them playing as an instrumental band without the vocals, and then to see them with the vocals later on—you know—was really, really cool to see. Kind of both. Versions, You know, such a musical band like we're talking about. Yeah,
0: so. No disrespect to the singer, but this would work very nicely as, yeah. a, as an instrumental. You know what I mean? I no, di- it, it,
1: no disrespect to you guys. I just had to flex. <laughs> Pump an iron four over here, flexing.
0: Cyopus, it's fun. Lastly, uh, my, my my hot pick from from Black Bark Activities uh, is the Tony Danza Tap Dance Extravaganza. Oh boy!
1: Well, I can tell by that tone. I have never heard this band. Oh man! To be perfectly honest uh, with you guys,
0: well, that's that's an interesting thing, you know, because I uh, I have written in my notes here that the, the one of the more often overlooked bands, completely based off their name.
1: Well, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. All due respect to these guys and they obviously did very well without me. Uh the name did turn me off. I'm I'm just going to be, you know, I'm going to be truthful about it. Yeah.
2: There are so many bands that are ripping this band off. Today. 100%. Like, I believe you. This, yeah. Th- yeah, yeah. This yeah. band invented a style of like beat down shit that mm. no one was doing at nope. this time and they were so- like every gent band you hear today that does all those weird little guitar tricks between all the beats. This
0: band invented it yeah, as pe- far as I'm concerned. People go mashuga this, mashuga that. Mashuga's their own thing. This yeah. is this was a band doing some weird, crazy, mishugared would out metalcore before uh before your perif before any you know, before before, Jaharta, before Jen was a thing. Before any yeah. any of your shit yeah. like that. And doing it with this sort of like uh I don't know, this this southern backwoods bullshit like, you know, attached to it. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting, and this is this is a broader question just to the scene where it's like, why is it okay to, I don't know, like a band named Cock and Ball Torture, but dismiss a band named Tony Danza? Well, that's know?
1: that's a very specific uh, uh, circumstance. You're, you're, I think you're, so. Yeah, but, it, well, but definitely it, specific. At the same time, yeah. though,
0: it's about like the gore or the comedy. You know, there's it, there's you know, it could go. It. it I mean, and this is just a broad. You know, question, but it could go extreme either way. This is an extremely comedic band name, and it's I it's easy it's, to
1: see why it's dismissed. You know? I think it's much more nuanced than that because I don't like either band name that you just said. Yeah, but, me either. But, like, like uh, it's, you know what it is, man? It's all about aesthetic, it's all about style. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone has a different preference. If you had marketed this music, with a different image, a different band name and different like kind of like lyric sensibilities, it could have gone a completely different way and had a completely different crowd. That's the nature of this stuff with extreme music. You know, that's why that's why nowadays kids are having so much fun playing with aesthetic and genre. You know, it's all melting together, but because you get totally different vibes based on the imagery and the lyricism that you apply to these bands. Of course. I mean, and and the first impression is everything, right? And the first impression
0: is your name, your logo, your artwork, your whatever. Before you even get into the lyrics and stuff like that. And I agree with you, you know, it's it's just an interesting kind of a...
2: Kind of addressing that point of like, the first impressions. The first time I ever heard of this band, I caught them live. I had no idea that they were opening. Was that Ritual? It was at Ritual and I forget who we there, were seeing but I walked in the door the court, and this yeah, band so, oh it was the Red Corps yeah, so. was headlining. But yeah, I walked in and this band was playing and I didn't know their name. I just saw them playing and I was absolutely floored. Yeah. So the name didn't matter after the first 30 seconds of me being in
1: the room, I guess. Um it's aesthetic is very important to me and I feel like it ma- I feel like that's the thing, man. I don't know where where they invented the name or whatever, but it's like there's a lot of band names where they're kind of just like offbeat and silly uh, and don't really do much to describe what you're going to get into when you actually hear the band. Right. And I guess that's like kind of like the, the music comes first. Everything else is like we can joke around about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's
0: a f- and everybody at the end of the day is trying to get their head above water. So it's wh- it's it's however you go. I, personally, like I
1: think this band is way better than their name. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, and it's hard to like. I'm it, not critiquing the music, and I'm not even critiquing anybody. I'm just trying to give like why I my from oh, my yeah. perception why there might be such a um, uh, like why these bands might not care if they're perceived as kind of having a sense of humor. About oh yeah, it, for, sure. I mean? for sure, yeah, yeah. man. No, no, I hear where you're coming from, yeah. for sure. But I mean, this, is, this isn't like law, like law of the land stuff. This nah. is this well, is the ideas behind I'll what say. makes shit work and what doesn't. In metal, I mean, like, let's think of, like, if you're fun in metal, you're probably, like, ghoul or guar or, like, maybe, like, a a municipal waste kind of, like, party, like, headbanger more type of band. Like, that's fun in metal. That's generally seen in a lot of ways as kind of, like, a a gimmick or a niche type of metal band, whereas, like, you know, a a real metal band is, like, your morbid angel or your deus. Like, you know, somebody that's perceived in, in, in any way to be serious about their lyrics and their beliefs and has kind of a stoicism about them.
0: I respect, but I don't necessarily agree. I think fun is, fun could be dragons, and fun can be, uh, you know, somewhere
1: in time, you know, and and, and fun can be, like, you know, conspiracy right well maybe the word is maybe there's a certain degree of romanticism that goes on in metal that doesn't go on in this other type of music there was a documentary uh, a long time ago about um FSU the the hardcore crew uh, yeah. I'm not going to get into it, into that but i remember the one guy saying like he was kind of talking down on metalheads and he was like you know hardcore's about real life metal's about like dragons and and fantasy and shit right. well, you know i'm paraphrasing but i mean that's i guess that's the thing is that metalcore it's more it's less about escapism and fantasy And if you're not going to be like very hardcore and real street, you know, like, like about your lyrics, then you're going to just kind of maybe, you know, or your band name, you're just going to kind of be, I don't know, like, like silly. And like, I guess, I guess, like you said, have fun.
0: I think more metalcore overarching is more about like uh, relationship and like, and feelings, you know what I mean? Uh, Not necessarily like how tough the streets are.
2: It could be a mix of both, like, I totally hear what you're both saying, because I feel like Metalcore is, uh,
0: you know, about that, like a loyalty to an idea, rather, as
2: opposed to either one of those divided.
0: A lot of it is like, you know, has the hardcore element of, you know, banding together around an idea, but, you know, a lot of it is also kind of zoomed out to uh, socioeconomic problems, if you will, or anything like that. You know, you can write shit about anything. I want to just bring this up right now. This is such a good band to be having
2: this kind of conversation about because they were doing so much interesting stuff, but then they have this name where it's like you have to think. like what well, We don't know what's going on in these guys' minds. That's a great Ob- point. Obviously, there's conceptions made, but maybe they don't even know what the fuck. Maybe they're
1: just drinking a lot and don't remember what the fuck they were thinking. When I, they- I don't know, but I mean, look, all I'm going to say is that... Um, the proof is in the pudding. This how what what year is this band from? Where where did they start? Yeah, they started in like uh 2005 was their first time, okay. f- first full length. So I've gotten through the last 15 years having never heard them because there was always a bunch of bands whose names I were more palatable to me, I'll just say. Yeah. So I Subjective mean right there shit, it, just, yeah. it, it just shows like regardless when you name your band you're you're shutting off people from certain sensibilities and and drawing people in from others because look man I'm trying it's to think like, like when you name your son well i guess so <laughs> like like look man i'm a big fan of malignancy i you know i the band name i could go either way it, to me it's it's like it's a it's a legacy at this point but the name did never turned me off from listening to the band or enjoying their music because it was dark. It was even knowing the guys, because those guys can have fun if you want to talk about fun, even if you watch them live. It is your choice of aesthetic, too. I understand what you're mm -hmm. saying. But it's more like we have fun uh, within this aesthetic. You know what I mean? Um, Not through it, I guess. I don't know, man. Look, I'm saying this with all due respect. I I could never write or play what these guys are playing, but if I was in a band like this, I I would strive to have a name that speaks to a different audience. I think that's fair man I just care about the
0: riffs I don't care if your uh, Name of your band is Susan You know what I mean Like uh, if If your shit is Is cool And it's doing something That makes me think A little bit You know A little bit extra Whatever you're trying to do To poke your head above water Like Here's i I'm okay with But I But Don't be surprised If you're not You know experiencing any sort of like you know or or if that name sort of uh handicaps you or handcuffs you in a certain way like you're explaining you know yeah man and and
2: what you're saying absolutely goes both ways because there's been a lot of bands that i did not listen to for a long time because of the name because i felt they were too serious or perfect example skeleton witch Mm-hmm. When I saw that band name, yeah. there was five, six years where I saw that band name. I was just like, "That is, that is like they're taking themselves way too seriously." But then mm-hmm. when I heard that band, I was like, "This band kicks mm-hmm. ass, like yeah.
1: absolutely." There's, you know? there's, you know, it's it's all about personal preference and it's all about what. There's so many bands nowadays. We can be choosy if we want. And and this is like the Tim and Eric of naming your band. Uh, you know, yeah, like yeah. Tony Danza, dude. Not to mention, mm-hmm. I'm in a band named Afterbirth you know i don't know and i you know i'm in a band named artificial brain we got we got some shit for that name over the years there are people who are not f- uh, fans of that name um, you know, and and I'm in a, a band where we're currently having a debate over what to name the band that's going on for months and months and months, man, a, a new project. Like, oh, you know, that's why, that's why I, I played up the mysterious death metal bit. That's because we can't pick a fucking name. All right. That's the smoke and mirrors. But I get it, man. So, you know, again, I'm not going to begrudge these guys the name. I'm just explaining why I, as an underground death metal head, s- away from it and chose to listen oh, to other things totally, before man. I check them out.
0: This this is why I brought this band up, and, and what a fantastic, like you said, what a fantastic conversation to have around this. But we, it, we, it's it's because of how turned off a lot of people would be to the name that I would I want to give a platform to how. Fucking
1: extraordinary, this music is. And I want to objectively give a platform to it (laughs) as well as somebody who was turned off by the name, admittedly. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, maybe I'll even say this I'll go this far, as I've said before. Let's reach out to these guys. And try to get an answer from the horse's mouth. We can't guarantee that they'll reach back, but we will reach out. So he, okay. I would love to. Yeah, I would yeah. love okay. to too. Here's an interesting fact. Uh, and let's reach a, a, out to Tony Danza himself while we're at
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's an interesting fact. You're gonna love this. Well, uh, everybody in the band quit after this release.
1: <laughs> maybe they maybe they, they couldn't deal with the name. Except I wouldn't except
0: want- except the singer, right? The singer kept it going. Uh, he got, he ended up getting a band together. They did two more records and broke up in 2012. But the other two records, there's some shit there. Even though it was completely different people going on
1: he did the Amure thing right You did the singer has the name and just hires you guys. know what's
2: really funny the guy he hired to do Danza 3 yeah. was Josh Travis who
1: plays in Amure interesting you know what's actually interesting I fired all of Artificial Brain and it's just me and Sal from Buckshot Facelift on the new Artificial Brain he's playing everything it's gonna be great I just paid him in Newport's <laughs> <laughs> I paid him in a. I paid him no, with a case I, of. Newport's. I mean, jo- Josh Listen, Travis
2: plays in Amur, not my favorite band. I can't. I can't really. Get oh, into we're gonna that, talk about
1: Amur one day, all right? I, w- uh, I gotta have off the next day because we gotta get boozed up. Yeah, I'll fucking. I'll.
0: I'll. You know that demo is the sickest thing.
1: Yeah. Okay. We'll get. But, into Josh right. Travis is sick, guys. Guys, 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 guys. Before we get into Amur, I want to keep this tangent. <laughs> I felt yeah. like this tangent was a worthy conversation, but if we keep talking about Amir, it's not. So We're let's gonna again, so we'll bring it in. Let's let good. let's let Tony Danza Tap Dance Extravaganza play out and the listeners can be the judge for themselves. You're right. I like yes. Let's bring it let's bring it back together. So
0: so Tony Danza uh that's my last hot take off a of black market. Like I said, um you know, they haven't done anything in a very long time, but they're still active on the Twitter and the, and, and the social media is promoting past bands, other, you know, Adjacent bands, I just love this word. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, buy merch, IndieMerchStore.com dot com slash black market activities. Uh, you know, get get getting an animosity shirt. You know, I, no, I'm trying to because none of mine fit me anymore. But uh, we, you know we've talked about animosity on the pa- podcast before. We've talked about Ed Gain. We've talked about um, from a second story window, mm-hmm. and uh, all that stuff. You know, I feel like this band is this 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 record label was putting together a cream of the crop of what turned out to be um, a genre that uh, you know you might hate a lot <laughs>
1: <laughs> very very you know I, I'll say that you're being self-deprecating Justin but I will say this uh, <laughs> a label that procured a lot of music that going forward I think there's a parallel to what I was talking about. Would be very influential. We mentioned the Colin Marston scene, so to speak. You know things like that, and how bands like Psyopus and Behold the Octopus were very influential on in mm-hmm. what was going on. We've already covered how the Red Cord was influential on our deep dive in the subgenre. That's Marine right. That's right. Uh, you know, episode, you, you know, so. I'm
0: here to give deathcore a good name, and eventually give Emir a good name. But you know, we're black market activities, man. I think they did some really good work, and uh, it, you know, it's sad to see them not doing so much stuff uh, it, now. Yeah, but um,
1: fucking get it. So Tony hit it.
2: Hello, everyone. It's my turn to talk about a label. <laughs> so the label I'm bringing to the table tonight, to the label table, is uh, Halo of Flies. Will, name. do
0: you know this label? It's the name of the episode.
1: Um, oh,
2: yeah. the, the name does ring a bell, man. Yeah, go, proceed. Um, I, I found it interesting. I, I, I didn't know about this label, but I know a lot of the acts on it. And, and doing my dive and finding something that, as I like to do, is a little obscure, maybe not for the listener, but maybe for myself. I'm still on this metal roller coaster every day with you folks. Um, Buckle up. So this is right now we're listening to uh, a band called Karineer, and I'll talk more about them later. But um, this label, Halo of Flies, started in late 2006 and just called it quits around June of 2018. They were run out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Run by Corey Von Bolin, guitarist and vocalist of Protestant. Really sick black metal crust crossover kind of band.
1: Yeah, that's right. I believe Buckshot Facelift played shows with Protestant once or twice. That's where, yeah, yeah, you're bringing back some fuzzy memories, man. Buckshot Facelift, um, no no. allegedly, Buckshot Facelift drank a lot and and still <laughs> would if we rehearsed any... Regularity So I Yeah but yeah Protestant I get it I remember now Where I know that from Right Please
2: proceed Painting a picture In your head It helps So I'm assuming Halo of Flies Was designed as a home For Protestant Because it was The guitar player's Baby Protestant had Released their first Full length album Called Make Peace With the Rope You Hang From Good album Yeah As I remember Heavy Heavy What a fucking name too. On a Fuck Life Records now, that's the only release on that, so I think that label was kind of the spiritual
1: grandfather to Halo of Flies. I would love to know if it's named after the neglect song, Fuck Life. Uh, very possibly could be. and another- An easy sentiment to come by in this life, regardless of whether you listen to extreme music. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> So I don't know. But proceed, I'm sorry. It's true. Um, Wisdom. Uh, I would love to reach out to this guy, Corey Von Boland. Because- I, I'll call him up. Yeah. it's Let me a, ring y- him up. No
2: guarantees, but... Uh, yeah.
1: I'm the guy from Buckshot Facelift. Click. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh,
2: from my understanding, uh, Corey was doing most, if not all, the work behind the label, and he called it quits. It seems as though the amount of sacrifice was o- over these years where it's just not worth the compensation, which I totally understand. I'm
1: sure all the people we talked about in these labels tonight lost money over just the years, hurting, man. Yeah, tremendous tremendous, the tremendous amounts of it.
2: Yeah. Um, I appreciate that, like Corey curated such a a, a group of quality releases. Because going through this, we got bands like what we're listening to right now: Karanir, Northless, Cloud Rat, Malakai, mm-hmm. Masakari, Half Gorilla. Half Gorilla? Yeah, That's cool a, stuff. I'm gonna play oof, some. I wanna know constantly. what the other half is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fall of Ephrafa and Lightbearer, and also Primitive Man. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so another layer I mean, sorry, Tom, no, kind of setting the stage. I mean, <laughs> I know this kind of like screamo grindy, like, resurgence stuff is is was at least popular the last few years cloud rat was a bigger band in, in the underground yeah they found some
2: success and it's I, I well think deserved, some yeah.
1: people may have heard of primitive man uh, just for the <laughs> listeners you can go back and check out our interview with, with uh, Ethan from primitive man yeah um so again just like we said with Justin's label and the label that I talked about tonight was uh kind of laying the groundwork for what was going to come by curating bands together hell yeah. yes um, a, a lot of these
2: releases that he's put out they, they seem like they seem like thoughtful releases. People uh, with emotional ties to their stuff, and there's gr- there, there's some grind shit on here too. It's not all it's not all like the avant-garde black metal or you know screaming crust punk kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's it's a great label with with some solid releases on here. Um, so back to Karanir here, which we're listening to. This is the album Portals to a Better Dead World. Uh, Will <coughs> this got a Maybe you can relate to this. this could could some, you
1: spell the band name?
2: Yeah, it's uh, C-A-R-A space N E
1: I R. Okay, thank you. That was bothering me. So, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. What were you saying? Um, yeah, thank th- you. I was bothering me too. Thank so you. So was I, bothering both of us, yeah. Tom, over here. We're fucking pissed at you. I'm so, what,
2: what was going on? What was going on? This is a uh, new new to me this week, but th- this album does have a lot of love. I don't really. I wouldn't really consider this like a deep cut. Anthony Fantano gave this some love on his channel. Uh, Will I know that? He's 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 also given artificial brain some love, and uh, he uh, you know love him or hate him, he does bring some interesting music into into the more um, an eccentric man,
1: yeah, uh, with a, <laughs> a passion for what he does, mm-hmm. uh, and he's successful at it. Yeah, I mean, I like I, I don't agree with him musically a lot of times, but when he gives people uh, warranted attention, I'm all about it. I so Watch the videos where he talks about bands I'm in. That's that's about it. Thank you to him for that. What, what were you getting ready to say though? He said, uh, "Oh yeah, he, he um, well, he loves your band." Oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Does he do a good job of what of, to, re- of, of talking about your bands? Anybody who talks about my bands in an open and honest way does a good job of talking about my yeah, bands. Yeah. There you go. Even yeah. if they, look, man, the wholesome hole. You know, the guys. Uh, he's on social media making the videos. You know, and it's, here's the thing, though, man. Like in all honesty, not to disparage him or anything. I I just I don't. You know, I don't follow a lot of YouTube pages. I don't watch a lot of videos or a lot of TV. Man, it is what it is. When no. when somebody texts me or sends me a link, hey Will, we you know we got a write up or hey Will, we got a vid- This guy made a video about us. Yeah, I'll watch it. I'll check it out. But it's just it's not something that's on my radar. But you know, I, I yeah, got, I, I got mean, no he, problem with the guy or anything like he that. He comes up to- on my
2: YouTube algorithm, and um, you know, he's taking his own journalistic approach, and I'm yeah. not uh, my- not even critiquing it. Uh, I'm just not into a lot of what he talks about. Yeah, just heard it. When he brings shit in like this, like Caranir, when he brings in artificial brain, uh, I'm glad he's doing so because then there's an audience Uh that
1: that check it out. My my YouTube algorithm is pretty much like Vlad TV. Uh, people who used to be in prison and talk about it, um, and uh, people who live in uh, pe- like Costa Rica to retire and stuff like that. Uh, oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's I, good. I, I got family over there. Don't worry. Mine's but- like top ten unfinished
0: bathrooms.
1: This <laughs> guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, six ways to drink Mountain Dew that you never heard of. Yeah. Oh, so you watch that prison channel, too? <laughs> oh, that, that's <laughs> yeah, oh, that's not that one? Oh, that's boy. Like, that's, like, that's a big right. one. Uh, Tom, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, all right. Yeah, so right
2: now, go. let's just listen to some of this Karen course um as a highlight we got to talk about the uh, label owners band Corey von bolin this is his band protestant this is their album in thy name it's a really good black metal album with a certain amount of crust parts in it because earlier they were kind of more of a crust band and they, mm-hmm. they slowly developed into a black metal band and they have no problem with going back to those older sounds of of their own catalog doesn't seem contrived at all it just makes sense i guess this is where their writing naturally
1: went and definitely a little ahead of the curve um with that fashion of uh of crust influence black metal and vice versa
2: yeah i mean the only band that was really doing that in the forefront like dark throne was doing it but not at this like sonic value yeah. not as yeah. in your face like this um so yeah the the intensity behind this and Uh, it's jarring and it's groovy at times so good balance good dynamics hell yeah so there you have it that's protestant in thy name um halo of flies really cool label a lot of Mm -hmm. modern stuff a lot of stuff you you've heard before um check out the label for things you haven't heard before i don't know i hope that guy Corey gets
0: something going again he's he's a good curator in my opinion cool man thanks for bringing that in very dark very cold yes cold stuff
1: Yeah, so uh, we talked about labels tonight that um, contributed something to the scene, um, curated for their time that they were around each of them. I think uh, an amazing group of bands and releases that will go on to influence the years to come. Uh, And I think we gave you a lot to to think about and to deep dive on. Um, And me and Justin had a spirited debate about band names. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, allegedly allegedly so um i have just been here we you know we hope you got something out of this and uh maybe hit us up on the social media with your uh you know favorite defunct label and 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 some of the things that they were known for and put out thank you uh for that soda you know we we're not really going to recommend too much now because we've been we spent this whole episode recommending Bands uh, from labels and labels that you can go out and check out the other things that, th- that those labels put out.
2: It would be irresponsible if we did the full round of recommendations. That's right. right. We're uh, not re- going to recommend any music
1: well, per se. Well, uh, I'm gonna, I- I'm gonna squeeze one in on you guys. All right, here, oh, uh, yeah. all and right. You, you know, I'm not gonna flex on you, but I am gonna multiplex on you. Oh, listen, guy, um, I was doing the research for this episode earlier today. And I'm looking up, uh, you know, as I said before, Visceral Productions put out an EP by the band Multiplex. Japanese kind of uh, funky grindcore rock-ish band. Uh, But I stumbled upon something in in my uh, travels on the internet. There's an artist named Quabo, Q-U-E-B-O, who has a YouTube channel, uh, hasn't been active for several years. 2015, I think, is the latest um, update. And in 2015, this artist put out the Multiplex EP. And, uh, you know, this is not heavy metal in any way, shape, or form. But this is um, really cool and excellently produced hip-hop slash R&B. And I had to throw this on there. um, uh, You know, we talked to Eric Burke recently of Salako, Lethargy, etc. Man, he recommended the R&B. talked about that. We talked to Monty from Mortal Decay and Malignancy and those bands. He talked about the smooth R&B. You know what I'm saying, man? I just wanted to hit my people off with something real smooth uh, right now. Um, Tom, you're, you're an audio engineer, man. You guys should sit back with this in the headphones. Uh, you know, when, when we're done recording, man, this is some mm. slickly produced, excellent R&B music. I, I tried to, to look this guy up on the Instagram and Facebook, and everything's a few years outdated. So I hope the guy's are okay and doing all right. This producer, Quabo, um, but uh, you know, for my people out there that like your hip hop and your R&B, or you at least appreciate a very well produced uh, mixtape. Um, I gotta recommend this uh, Multiplex EP that Quabo put out and is on uh, YouTube and is available on SoundCloud um, so you know inadvertently while looking up Multiplex the grindcore band from Japan I stumbled upon this and this opening track man I just wanted to drive around in circles around around my block when I got home and listen to this more man yeah. this, this is something good man alright put this on when you're hanging out with your girl or whatever man nice smooth album so you know what I mean let's let that ring out a little bit Yeah, man, smooth, man. Just to cleanse the palate. You know, we've been talking about all these defunct labels and crazy, obscure technical and brutal guttural music, man. I just, I had to share this, man. I was driving home today and I said, this doesn't sound like multiplex. It's a funky sample from The U's, and then it kept going. I had to look it up, man. I found out what I was getting into with this, man. So mm. that's, uh, that's uh, Q-U-E-B-O is the artist. He's a producer. Quabo. Hopefully, the guy's doing it right. Hasn't updated any of the social media in a few years, but this is the Multiplex EP that he put out, and it's on his YouTube channel. Don't listen to your music too loud in your headphones. Mm. Save your ears. Mm. You will, you'll thank yourself later. Yeah, save your ears and uh, save your uh, best comments. And questions for when you hit us up on that Instagram, that Twitter, that Facebook Heavy Hole Podcast. Yes, sir. Uh, Heavy Hole Podcast at gmail.com. Drop me a line if your tape popped. We uh, we will make it available for you to send that tape into us, and I'll I'll try my best to fix it and send it back. Uh, Unless and, that's the snare sound and it, and it didn't really pop. Just... If you if that would be the ping. If you have mm. a more complicated cassette problem, you could call us up and describe it. Yeah, or whatever you want to call us up about, too. And what's that number, Tom? Uh, 631-837-3274. 9-7-4.
0: What's that phone number, bud?
2: Oh, let me tell you again. It's a 631-837-3274. 7-4. Got it. Yeah. You missed, like, six numbers. Stop playing. around. Know many it. times I've had to enter my phone number into fields in online <laughs> sheets, uh, you know, whether it be services of sorts, and then all of a sudden I'm typing in heavy hole by accident, and th- there I get Verizon phone calls on the heavy hole Mm-mm. podcast it doesn't matter anyway you guys know how
1: many times i'm looking to research death metal bands for the podcast and i type in keith sweat by accident and listen to r oh man all right let's wrap it up because i this this is the part in the song where i gotta cruise in my jeep all right all right i have one more recommendation surprise
0: let me go back into my notes what oh here it is uh okay so for my recommendation um have a good night guys stop oh, stop stop <laughs> First memory was when I um, auditioned for Annie in the first grade, and. Um